to the latest episode of Public Power Now. I'm Paul Schimpoli, News Director at APPA. Our guest in this episode is John Godfrey, Senior Government Relations Director at APPA, who is here to discuss the recently enacted Inflation Reduction Act and how the new law will affect public power. John, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Sure thing. So, John, to get our conversation started, I'm, I believe that probably most of our members are at least generally aware of, of what the Inflation Reduction Act is. But um, could you provide a general overview of the law and detail the role that APPA played as the legislation was crafted? So, happy to chat about uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, which which is actually not even called that. Um, <laughs> it's it's uh, the, the the title of the bill had to be struck at the last minute because. Yeah. Um, of procedural maneuvers, but it's what people call it. So that's what we'll call it here, or IRA, if you want. Um, this is a massive bill. Uh, it had eight different committees of jurisdiction. It's hundreds of billions of dollars uh, in tax and spending provisions. Um, the tax title alone um, included uh, $300 billion in new taxes on corporations. Um, the uh, Underlying bill included uh, a revision uh, to uh, Medicare rules to allow Medicare to negotiate drug prices, uh, provided a fair amount of, of uh, provisions related to uh, Medicare and other sorts of healthcare related provisions. Um, it's uh, $80 billion of, of new funding for the IRS. Uh, so it really is a wide and sweeping bill. It, in our world for energy, um, you've got about $200 billion. Uh, in in new energy tax provisions and in a fair amount of new uh, uh, energy spending. Um, energy spending includes, oh heavens, they've got uh, new spending for rural energy uh, loan programs, uh, new spending for uh, transmission uh, siting. Uh, they've got a plus up in funding for permitting staff. Uh, so there's just a fair a fair amount of provisions there. But again, uh, the the one that people I think are paying most attention to at this point is the is the energy tax uh, title. This really is uh, uh, comes from uh, the Green Act, which was introduced a couple of Congresses ago, uh, reintroduced uh, last year, and then reincorporated into the Build Back Better Act, and now uh, finally incorporated for the most part uh, intact uh, here. Um, about two hundred billion dollars for energy tax provisions here, uh, the vast majority for generation storage and transportation tax credits. About 35 billion of that is for individuals and businesses for uh, efficiency um, and non-business energy property uh, credits. So really a big bill, a lot of uh, energy tax provisions is kind of the the, the keystone to it. That's kind of the the overview of the bill. Mm -hmm. You asked asked about, uh, you know, sort of what role we played in it. I'm always a little loath to take credit uh, for anything, but but we did uh, try where we could uh, to help uh, tax staff. Uh, this is a, a, a sort of a new area. Again, they've, they've um, obviously Congress has been has been legislating uh, in the energy tax space for for decades, uh, but they really were uh, reaching into into new ground and trying to do a a, a more comprehensive approach towards these energy tax credits. So we uh, try to provide them an overview of the energy sector, uh, deeper dives on, on s- some specific areas, transmission, microgrids, um, and also just the nexus of, of the tax code and energy tax credits and public power, uh, how that worked. Um, 
and, and tried to give them an idea uh, of, of how these provisions that, that were being discussed might affect the energy sector, uh, customers, reliability, uh, and public power in specific. Um, we're not the biggest uh, player in the field. Again, as people probably know, we represent about 15% of the retail market. Uh, so we tend to approach these conversations as honest broker. I mean, my approach has always been, look, I'm going to tell you what all sides are saying uh, and, and explain then, you know, why I think if it's appropriate or necessary, you know, why, you know, our side or our, our thoughts um, might uh, be best to be taken into consideration. And I think that that was helpful. Uh, so is that helpful? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to to give our listeners the opportunity to get kind of a behind the scenes look at, at what you and the rest of the GR staff do, because I think oftentimes um, that may be, may get missed in, mixed in, missed in the shuffle. So, um, so thanks for doing that. Um, so, so John, just kind of drilling down further into um, obviously what a lot of our listeners are interested in is, can you talk about how public power utilities are going to benefit from the new law? Sure. So as I talked I talked a little bit uh, earlier, there's a number of funding programs uh, in there. So again, we've got rural loans, uh, that, that uh, rural energy loans that will be made available, um, plus up in, in the DOE loan program. Uh, there's uh, a sub, a substantial new funding for uh, tribal uh, energy programs. So um, our, our members that are, that, that, that are members of the tribes, uh, there was uh, funding for weatherization that will help our customers. We've got uh, $500 million alone uh, for the Defense Production Act. Uh, that's intended to help with supply chain issues. So, so there's that aspect of it. Uh, there's also an increase in funding to permitting staff. Um, the uh, concern here is that uh, the staff are just so swamped uh, for um, Various departments that that permitting for transmission, gas pipelines, whatever, just don't have the resources necessary to to uh, deal with these uh, permits on a timely fashion. The, the hope is that by increasing uh, funding, uh, they will get more timely responses. Again, we've got you know, members for whom uh, permitting signing is a huge issue, uh, so that should be helpful. But again, the the single largest victory here really would be uh, the tax uh, credit provisions uh, and what we're calling. Uh, the, or what is being called direct pay tax credits, uh, and that uh, alone is, is I think, going to be significant. It's hard to get an idea as to the score. And if you look at some of the congressional the congressional scorekeepers, the Joint Committee on Taxation, the Congressional Budget Office, these are the people who try and say, you know, "Gee, what will this what will this uh, legislation cost?" They're kind of all over the map, and they don't um, score very uh, as a particularly big number. Uh, the cost of direct pay, but I think that's mistaken. I think uh, our members will really uh, take advantage of that provision. Now, you alluded to the direct pay um, aspect of this. Can you talk a little more about the mechanism and how, it, that that the public power utilities will be able to use to claim various credits for projects and facilities? Yeah, absolutely. And and and, and sorry about that. So, one, I will um it. it I wouldn't bother making this explanation for any other audience, but but this audience uh, may be aware of uh, the direct pay provisions of uh, the Build America bonds and clean renewable energy bonds. This is different. So there it was, gee, we're going to help subsidize your interest payments. You're going to get a payment equal to some percentage of 
uh, the interest you pay on these Build American bonds and new clean renewable energy bonds. That's a different direct pay thing. This here is different, uh, and, and I'll explain uh, why. So <clears throat> the federal government can subsidize investments in a variety of ways. It can be grants, loans, loan guarantees, uh, tax credits, et cetera. Uh, generally speaking, in the energy space, it's been through tax credits. Uh, the problem with that is if it's done through the tax credits, that only works for folks with a tax liability. If you don't owe any taxes, having a credit against those taxes doesn't do anything. Um, now, you can fix that by converting your credits into a grant. So instead of saying, I've got a $100 million project and we want to give you a 30% credit, uh, so we want to give you $30 million, um, you can either do that, again, as a credit against tax worth $30 million, or you can write them a check saying $30 million. Um, so you could convert these credits all into, into um, grants. That's not uh, what happened. That's not what people are interested in doing. So the other approach is, well, <clears throat> if you're not going to convert these into grants, how can you get um, it so that tax-exempt entities can somehow monetize the value of these credits? And that's the approach they took. <clears throat> the way they did that was, this is uh, the, the mechanics here, is you have a credit. So I've got a project, again, my $100 million project. I have a 30% credit uh, on that project. And previously, if I was a tax entity, I'd have a credit, but I have no tax liability against which to offset it. And so it would be sort of sit on the shelf unused. Under the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, what it allows you to do is say, okay, I've got a $100 million project and I've got a 30% credit. So that's $30 million. I can uh, make an election and I'm doing little air quotes with my fingers here. You make an election um, to have to convert that into a deemed payment equal to the same amount. So I have a $30 million credit and I make an election and it is converted magically. Um, like uh, you know, the magician on the stage, it converts that credit into a deemed payment of tax. So now I'm a tax exempt entity uh, and I've got a deemed payment of $30 million of taxes. Uh, and so what I do then is I go back to the IRS and say, look, I don't owe any taxes. I was deemed to have paid $30 million in taxes. Please write me a check. Uh, and that that please write me a check part is the direct payment part. And that's why it's called. It's also called a refundable credit, um, but uh, direct payment. So that's the idea is <clears throat> I now can monetize these credits. Uh, the mechanics uh, have yet to be sorted out exactly. Uh, how does a state and local entity file an income tax return? Well, there is some precedent uh, currently uh, for folks in the call may or may not uh, be aware of this, obviously, but um, if we're exempt from, from federal taxes, we're exempt from all federal taxes. So that includes uh, gasoline excise taxes. Uh, and so if you uh, go to your local uh, Quickie Mart or whatever and buy gas with your uh, utility vehicle and you, buy, you know, pay for that gas on, on your, your utility credit card, well, part of that will include uh, the cost of the excise tax. It depends on how the system works, but sometimes let's just assume that's what happens this time. Well, at the end of the year, you can take all of your accumulated little receipts, uh, add up all of the federal excise taxes you paid and submit a, a, a form back to the federal government saying, hey, I paid, again, let's make up a number, $30 million of, of gasoline excise taxes. Uh, that I wasn't supposed to pay, please write me a check and they will write you a check. So there is some precedent for this in, in the code uh, and, and under current circumstances. They just have to figure out how mechanically to do it. And it'll probably be something akin to that, where you 
fill out, you know, just like you do on a regular tax return, maybe a, an extra schedule uh, that says, OK, how much of tax credits should I get? And then another form that says, OK, I'm now going to make an election for direct payment. Uh, and here's an, and a request for return of a deemed overpayment or tax. And then it'll probably happen. It'll probably be on a, on a you know calendar year basis. So just like uh, April 15th is when you file your um, uh, individual act, uh, tax returns, it'll be something like that uh, for state and local governments to file their returns uh, for these. So something like that um, is how it's all going to work. We hope. <laughs> right. So it sounds like uh, additional details are to be ironed out. Yeah, okay. there's going to be a lot, a lot of work in the next couple um, months and years. Um, so direct payment um, will be available starting uh, January of next year. Uh, we sure hope that there's guidance uh, that comes out before then to give people an idea. Um, a lot of the questions of this involve uh, timing. You know. These are huge transactions. Again, you know, certainly, uh, again, as, as folks know, a utility scale uh, project that you might want to claim a credit for, big, a quarter of a billion dollars. And so the float on that, right? So the amount of time you've borrowed that money between or the time between when you borrow the money to start paying for the project and when uh, Treasury cuts you a tax for the tax credit, that's a lot of money for a lot of long period of time. Uh, and so you really care about the timing of it. And so getting guidance explaining how exactly this will work will be critical to a lot of these transactions for people being able to figure out whether they, you know, it pencils out for it to make economic sense for them. So we, we await with bated breath uh, Treasury's guidance. Uh, we are working uh, closely with a fair number of stakeholders here. So uh, we're working with the rural electric cooperatives that also uh, can benefit from direct payment. We're working with the large public power council, obviously uh, our uh, sister organization for public power. Uh, we're also working with state and local entities. So the government finance officers association, the conference of mayors, the league of cities, uh, the national governors association, folks like that, people who may not have a lot of uh, experience in the energy uh, tax space. And so working with them, because they may also want to take advantage of this, they can't. Uh, so we're working with a lot of people to uh, begin to spot issues as the uh, uh, regulations for this are developed with the idea and hope of if there are early issues, uh, we can get them in front of Treasury before they publish guidance to get it headed the right direction. Um, after they've issued guidance, uh, the hope is that we can work collectively to try and improve those uh, uh, regulations or rules as they proceed. And finally, uh, even after uh, rules are finalized, if issues crop up, we can work collectively uh, to get those results. Hey, great. Well, thanks so much for walking us through the specifics on direct pay. Um, so the Inflation Reduction Act is not the only law that's been enacted in recent years that will impact public power. As you know, the in Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, uh, which was signed into law by President Biden in November 2021, also includes provisions affecting public power. So, I, John, I wanted to tap your expertise while we have you on the podcast to, to give our, our listeners uh, an opportunity to hear additional details on on that. Well, no. <laughs> so IRA is if IRA is huge, and it is, you know, a couple hundred billion dollars is real money even in Washington. Uh, the Infrastructure and Investment and Jobs Act is huger. 
Uh, okay. It's $1.2 trillion in new spending. Uh, so I will uh, walk through uh, sort of the, the broad issue areas, but to get into the details, well, again, uh, my uh, colleague, Sarah Mathias, really handles this issue. Okay. Uh, I'm stepping in for a bit. Uh, but she does, you know, one and two hour seminars on this. So, but it's a it's a hugely important public power. And I'm really glad you brought it up. And I will mention these areas, if only so that people will get more interested and re, uh, loop back to some of the resources we have mm-hmm. to get more information. So <clears throat> uh, the bill includes uh, a huge portion of it is. Uh, grants for charging and fueling infrastructure. This relates to electric vehicles. It, it's it's um, stated as alternative uh, fuel corridors, but really it's electric vehicles and maybe uh, uh, clean hydrogen and, and some natural gas. Um, we've got uh, increased funding uh, for resiliency. Uh, it's a $5 billion program alone there. I'm, I'm flipping through my notes here, so I don't miss stuff. Sure. Uh, you've got uh, funding for electric grid reliability and research, re- uh, research development and demonstration programs. Um, you've got uh, a basically a codification of a current program. We've got APP has been working uh, jointly uh, with uh, the Department of Energy for trying to get uh, cybersecurity and cyber awareness. Uh, to some of our smaller uh, and, and even up to uh, mid-sized public power utilities um, through the Department of Energy's uh, Office of uh, Cybersecurity. Uh, this, uh, the bill uh, codifies that and makes it permanent. Uh, again, that's going to be hugely helpful uh, to our members as they try and uh, uh, improve uh, their cyber maturity, uh, as, they, as folks say. Uh, greatly helpful to, to small and, and, and rural areas that, that might otherwise not have the resources uh, to develop these uh, these sorts of programs. Um, <clears throat> we've got uh, research uh, and uh, grants related to carbon capture, utilization, storage, and transportation infrastructure. Uh, we've got new hydroelectric production incentives and hydroelectric efficiency improvement incentives. Um, <clears throat> we've got uh, Grants for energy efficiency improvements and renewable energy improvements at public school facilities. This is not something that we would necessarily uh, that we would not do ourselves, but I think it's important for members to realize it because these schools are going to have to partner with somebody in developing these ideas and, and coming up with um, the proposals themselves. And I bet that the local public power utility would make a great partner in, in these uh, schools, making the pitch, may, understanding. Uh, how this might uh, help them and and the returns on their investment that might be made. There's a couple of these different areas where uh, it may not be the public power utility itself that's seeking the assistance, but rather is partnering with others. Uh, for again, example, uh, you've got uh, weather is, weatherization assistance programs that will see receive $0.35 billion under this program. Another uh, $550 million for energy efficiency and conservation block grant programs. These are great places for public power utilities to partner uh, with folks in their community uh, to try and help them get these resources to help their uh, customers. Um, we also have funding for, um, uh, it's called the Digital Equity Act of 2021. Uh, this really is intended to help uh, enable middle mile broadband infrastructure. Uh, not necessarily everyone's going to be doing that, but insofar as you are, well, it's going to be a helpful grant. So that's just a, a quick uh, look at some of the funding that's available in your IIJA. Um, we've got great resources on our website uh, on that page, um, and I'm sure that uh, we can get folks 
the URL to that if we need to. Uh, it's uh, if the, the title of the page is Federal Infrastructure Law Opportunities for Public Power, uh, and it's on our webpage. So uh, please look at that if you want. Definitely. And thanks for, for giving that overview. And I've made a note to myself to invite Sarah on the podcast at some point in the future. She, she is, she is uh, extremely talented, um, really good. And, and, and just if, if I can, if you don't mind, sure. j- just pulling the curtain back a bit. You asked a bit earlier about, you know, sort of how, how do we influence the, 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 uh, the, um, the process? How do we influence the bill? Right. Uh, and I'm glad you said we, because it was not me. Uh, you know, I, I was helpful, but it really was uh, bringing in subject matter experts uh, like Sarah. Uh, she's really good on nuclear power, really good on microgrids, really good on, on renewables. And so being able to get her for the stuff, John McCaffrey, our counsel, uh, was extremely helpful explaining uh, some of the repercussions on the bulk power system of the proposals they're talking about. Uh, data from Paul Zuma, who handled, uh, was handling our data management uh, in terms of what the effect of these proposals were. Um, <clears throat> getting uh, Amy Thomas, who did um, uh, does a lot of our hydropower work, uh, getting uh, at least information. We don't add, we don't we don't lobby for the Tennessee Valley Authority, but we could certainly uh, inform the staff. Uh, as to what the effect of the policies would be on the Tennessee Valley Authority. And so I've got at the end of the day, the Tennessee Valley Authority is now eligible for these direct pay. So so they will be able to take advantage of these credits themselves. So um, it really did take a a, a lot of people to get involved. And and our members also. Um, We had uh, folks who uh, were extremely helpful in explaining the repercussions of uh, what was first the Green Act and then the Build Back Better Act and now this. just extremely I, helpful to have those members provide the insights uh, to tax staff and staff. So it it, um, it really was, uh, you know, a cast of hundreds uh, getting before the committees, the members, and, and, and explaining sort of in depth how this would affect them. That that ended up that helped put the bill where it ended up in the end. Thanks, John, and I and I think it's great that you provided the details on the cross-departmental collaboration at APPA. And when you ticked off all the names of, of people, staff at APPA who collaborated on the, these efforts, I think that's one of the purposes that I that I was aiming to achieve in this in this podcast episode was, you know, again, giving kind of a behind the scenes look at what what we do at the ground level. So I think that's another thing that was great to highlight. Well, and, and I'm going yeah. to interrupt you one more time because I don't want to leave folks out. And one, if I let you, if folks out, it's not untrue. But I do, I do think two folks are worth mentioning. Uh, Engineering Services obviously was hugely helpful. Again, they're the ones that we went to that we on the uh, government relations staff really rely on for getting this information. So mm-hmm. uh, they were extremely helpful um, uh, in getting information on the, the the real effects. What you know, there was a proposal uh, early on to uh, allow microgrid equipment to get a credit for a microgrid of up to 50 megawatts. That's pretty big. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea was that people wanted to create, you know, a series of 50 megawatt microgrids uh, so that people could island themselves in the middle of a, of a you know, energy emergency. Well, shoot, if you start taking 50 megawatt chunks out of the grid, you no longer have a grid. And so we, we were able to sort of discuss with tax staff that they might want to, you know, reduce the, the, the size that they consider to be a microgrid so that you didn't put the bulk power system at risk by allowing these things to, to, to island. And in fact, the, the number is far lower than, I think it's five uh, megawatts of facility, there's that. Two, I would mention 
uh, your own work you know, and that of the communications department. I mean, none of this stuff uh, gets out without the communications department being involved, uh, whether it be um, podcasts or it be uh, our daily newspaper uh, or in our magazine. All that information gets out to members and gets presented in a fashion that's readable and understandable. Um, and I really do feel like, you know, if we not had, like you said, these, you know, the, the, all departments working together, it wouldn't have worked as well. So uh, hats off to you all for the work that you have done on this issue also. I mean, the, we, we, ha- we, we succeeded here in no small part because of the work that you all did in, in keeping members informed uh, about what uh, we and the GR staff were doing. So greatly appreciate that. Thanks. Thanks for the shout out. Um, so, John, thanks for this great conversation. Um, I'm sure you'll be back on the podcast at some point in the future to discuss other legislative developments. Um, now, your your work is not done, obviously, you, you, as you alluded to, and, you know, getting it across the finish line is just kind of the first step. And as it relates to uh, further educating our members, you're going to be participating in a September 27th webinar hosted by APPA. And this is going to be the first in a series of events APPA intends to provide to educate members about these provisions and how best to make use of them. Um, so for additional information about how to register for a webinar, go to APPA's website and click on Education and Events. Thanks for listening to this episode of Public Power Now. Public Power Now comes to you from the American Public Power Association and is produced by David Blaylock. I'm Paul Champoli, and we'll be back with more from the world of public power next week. 